Hello and welcome to the Hope Midtown Podcast. We are so glad that you could tune in. You are about to listen to our latest sermon from this past Sunday. We hope that you are blessed and this word ministers to you. For more information, visit our Instagram page at Hope Midtown. That is H-O-P-E-M-I-D-T-O-W-N, Hope Midtown. Now, here's our latest sermon. Hey, welcome everyone. My name is Drew. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Midtown. And uh, this past Friday, I actually had an opportunity to attend a Shabbat service. I was invited by Angela Buckdahl, who's the rabbi, over at Central Synagogue, which is one of the most historic, um, significant, reformed Jewish congregations in the country. And she had invited myself, along with a few other clergy, to offer prayers on the behalf of the, the Jewish community. And the reason why was because... Uh, a week ago or so, there was the incident that happened in Texas where a terrorist had taken hostage uh, a rabbi there in Coleyville, Texas. And out of solidarity with the Jewish community, she invited me to come and to, to pray along with other clergy. And it was an immense honor to be there uh, in the midst of everything that's happening in the world. And it just kind of reminded me of the collective grief that so much of the world has been in. And of course, here in our city over the past uh, week and a half, there was the news that happened with the woman, Angela Go, who was pushed onto the tracks and killed um, by the subway and just the grief and the fear and the anxiety that I think exists not only in our city but really around the world and around the country right now. And you know, as I, as I was just wrestling kind of today and even as uh, was with this congregation, Central Synagogue over this past week, like there's so many aspects of life that um, are incredibly difficult and painful. And sometimes we don't know what to do or to make sense of those things. And I think when it comes down to it, I mean, isn't this what congregations are really for? Like, at the end of the day, right, like, you and I, we all are living in this city. We're moving, and with everything that's happened with COVID and even the past couple of years and with the news and uh, these painful episodes, the reality is, is life is not just one kind of peachy, keen, wonderful thing. And church is not this place that is simply like this happy, clappy place. But instead, it's a place where hopefully you and I, we showed up today with a yearning for something more real and tangible that can help us through some of the, the dregs of life. I mean, isn't that true? Like you and I, like we're looking for something real, not just something fake and plastic. We're looking for a spirituality that speaks to us in the midst of whatever joys we might experience, but also whatever sorrows and pain and difficulty and pain points. And the reality is, whether it's in your life or in mine or in the collective life of our city or a people group like the Jewish community, there's all sorts of pain and suffering and difficulty that comes to us. And one of the reasons why we're in this sermon series on emotionally healthy spirituality is because we really want to invite people into a spirituality that's not simply like this surfacey, like, hey, just read your Bible more. Maybe you should pray more. Maybe you should come to Sundays more and check out our cool images of, of who we are and what we do. But instead, I mean, isn't what we're longing for something real, something that speaks to us in the most painful moments in our lives? Uh, like a life of not, not just simply information, right, but transformation. Isn't that what we long for? Not to simply be entertained. And maybe you've come to this church service and you're like, oh, my goodness, he's going in so quickly about this stuff. But isn't it true? Like, don't all of us, deep down, we long for something more than simply information. We want something to transform us from the inside out. And really, that's been the invitation for us in this whole sermon series, is it's not about information, it's about transformation. And what does that look like? And, and so the thesis that we've been talking about is how emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. 
Uh, it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. So in other words, um, what happens to my emotional world and how I deal with it? When I have anxiety or when I have these moments of sleepless nights, what do I do with that? Do I run to my addiction of choice? Or is there a way in which even that part of me gets submitted before God? And before God, he's invited to do something to transform us and to change us. Uh, Now, the image that we've been using is the image of an iceberg. And here's the image, right? The 10% above the surface, and then there's this uh, 90% below the surface. And I I think this image so depicts what most New Yorkers experience in the world, right? Like there's this 10%, this veneer that we show to other people, right? What school you went to. Uh, where you live, the career that you, or the career ambitions that you do have, and the way that you're growing up in that. Like, there's so many ways in which what we present to other people is this veneer. And in so many ways, when it comes to even our spiritual lives, what we do is we offer to God, hey, God, I'll, I'll let you into this 10%. Maybe change some behaviors here or there. Maybe I'll start attending a church here or there. Maybe I'll start attending a group here or there. But really, when it comes down to it, is the invitation that we've given to God, an invitation like, God, I want you to get deeper into this iceberg. But here's what I think and what I believe to be true about human beings, both in you and in me, is that all of us do. We, we really would like, if, if we were given the choice to say, God, I want you to just take this surface part of me, just that superficial part, and make it look better before everyone else, I dare say that every single one of us is longing for a transformation that's different, that's deeper than that, that goes way deeper And so today we're actually talking about a topic that goes into the 90%. It's the topic of our families, going back in order to go forward. What does it look like to allow God into those spaces? Because here's the reality. Check out this passage in the book of Isaiah. Look at what it says about this image that God gives about his relationship to his people. He says, but now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. Can I hear you say clay? That was really bad. <laughs> Can I hear you say clay? Yeah, there you go. All right. And you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. And so there's this image then that God has given to us. That God is basically this potter. And uh, have any of you done pottery before? Neither have I. I haven't done it either. So, but what I've heard or what I've seen is that there's this potter who's molding clay as it spins around. And as you're molding it, you're shaping it to whatever you want it to be. And so what God is doing, the image that God is giving is like, there's this clay and I'm molding it and shaping it. You know, when I first read this passage, this is the image that I think of. It's the image of this lump of clay, like uh, this lump of clay that's just purely kind of round and ready and luscious and waiting to be molded and shaped into whatever it could be. I mean, this is what I think about. Like, God, that's who I am, this blank canvas. Do whatever you wish. But the reality is, it's not like we are these blank canvases. In fact, my journey as a Christian, I became a Christian kind of in my elementary, middle school years. That's when I really was wrestling and and kind of made this commitment. And then in college, I went through this whole uh, season of searching different religions and trying to figure things out. And then finally, at the age of 18, 19, I made a decision to follow Jesus, to go wholehearted in this. And I was like this lump of clay saying, mold me and make me. But the reality is, If you knew me, you know, there had been 18 and 19 years of my life that had already been molded and shaped into something. (laughs) 
And so what God was actually doing was he wasn't taking just this beautiful lump. He was actually taking something that had been formed into a certain fashion, and he was beginning to break it and chisel it and mold it and move it. Well, I should say, only the amounts that I allowed him to break and to change and to mold. And the reality is, one of the most instrumental things that shape you and me for most of our lives is our family of origin. Now, this is not to say that what God wants to do is everything that you learn from your families of origin, he's going to break it and he's going to reformat it. Da, 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 da. There's some very beautiful things in every single family. In fact, one of the Ten Commandments is honor your father and mother. And so there are these ways in which the value of family, including our mother, father, sons, and daughters, and grandparents, and extended family, that, that's an essential feature of, of one of the values of the scriptures. And yet, there's this teaching from Jesus. Check out what he says. Now, keep in mind, and maybe if you come from an Eastern culture, and I only say this because Western culture tends to be more uh, identified by individualism, but Eastern cultures are, are more fashioned into this value of family. That value of family is far more prominent within uh, the ancient world. And so the ancient world, people already have this, this view that families are everything and that loyalty to your family is everything. And look at what Jesus says in the midst of that kind of culture. He says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, do you see what Jesus is basically doing? He's basically saying, listen, I know that you've been shaped and fashioned and formed in a certain way. And it's mostly been by these families that have shaped you. But here's what I want you to know. There's a family, there's an invitation that supersedes even that kind of formation. It's the formation of being shaped into a new kind of family. That what it means to follow me then is to become a follower of Jesus, not necessarily a follower of the Hyun way. And my wife said, amen. <laughs> right? Like there's this because there's all these ways in which I've been taught how to live. Now, last night, my daughter, she's six years old. She comes to me and she says, uh, she says, Appa, I want you to read this uh, fam I, I want you to read this fairy story to me, this My Little Pony fairy story. And I'll, I'll tell you what happened within me, right? And initially, right in my heart and in my mind, I was kind of like, I, young men do not read fairy stories. <laughs> like, like, this is, I don't, I don't think there's any male hyun in the history of my lineage who has read a fairy story to their daughter. You know, like, like that. So like initially, so I was like, you should ask mom. You know, like this is not. Now, now you got to keep in mind, like here I am, and, and I'm like, and, and the football game is on. Like this is, this is like serious right now. now. Now you see, just in a moment like that, right? Like we can look at that and say, oh, it's just an innocuous family moment. But here's what the hard work of discipleship looks like, the hard work of like following Jesus. It, it means like, wait a minute, like that chauvinistic, male-centered, absent father, workaholic, don't spend time with children way of the Hyun family. Like, that's not the way of Jesus. And I, I gotta tell you, like, it takes everything in me to be like, okay, I'll read it for you. <laughs> you know, like there's, like, it's like this challenge. But, but do you see, this is, where, this is how deep spirituality goes, right? It's not just about like what you do when you're praying and alone and what you, when you're reading the scriptures. It's about real life stuff. 
Like, how do you treat the people in your family? How do you interact with people? How do you listen to people? How do you love people? And the invitation of Jesus is, I want, I want you to actually be formed, not necessarily strictly by your family, by the culture around. I want you to be reformed. I want you to be shaped. And here's what it's going to take. It's going to be hard. It's going to cause breaking. It's going to, it's going to cause breaking and remolding and you reading fairy stories at night to your six-year-old. And for me, the willingness to say, God, I am like clay. You are the potter. Shape me and form me into the way that you want me to be. And that, now the invitation when it comes to family, it's not just about reading fairy tales. We could go down the list and we will. Here's a list of things. For instance, when it comes to topics that we've been more formed by our families than we have by the way of Jesus. For instance, the topic of money. When it comes to money and how we approach money, now, for me, growing up in an immigrant context, so much of the, the story around money was you will never have enough. And, and so you can imagine then the way that I approach money. And some people might say like, oh, well, Drew, no, no. The way that you handle your money is really wise. Because why? Because I save as much as I can. Saving is a high, high value to me. And the reason why is because I grew up with this mentality that it's, 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 it's never enough. So much so that throughout the day, sometimes I used to actually check my bank account multiple times a day as if somehow the amount was going to change, you know, but it was almost this way, this way of reassuring myself, okay, is there enough money? Is there enough? Do I have enough? Will we be okay? Now, I want to ask you this question, is that mentality, as it approached, that, that approach to money, is that more shaped by the way of Jesus, or is it more shaped by my family of origin? And I can say to you, I can confess to you, it's more shaped by my family of origin. Now, this is why the way of Jesus tells us to be generous first, be people who give away. Do you see how the spiritual discipline of generosity, it's a discipline that's going deep into the tentacles of those, that 90% of my life, and saying, like, I want to reformat all the ways that you approached money, this way where you're so worried about money and you think that money is everything. Now Jesus is basically saying, no, 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 no. I want you to give it away. And I want you to be generous. I want you to trust me even with something as little as money. The reality is there's this, there's this war that wages within me over uh, like the way of the Hyun family or the way of Jesus. Now, again, this is not to say that everything I receive from my family is bad. This is simply to say, this is the work that God wants to, wants to do with us. To take that clay, however we've been formed, and to begin to reform it and fashion it into his way. But not only money, but let's talk about conflict. The way that we do conflict. The, the way that we did conflict in our family, my father was this violent uh, person who was really angry and loud. And so as a result, me being the youngest son, the way that I did conflict was basically I said yes to everything, but I was very passive aggressive. And so you can imagine in my married life, am I someone who handles conflict maturely and well in my family of origin? Not all the time. <laughs> I'm far more passive-aggressive than I would like to admit. 
And so my wife, when it comes to dealing with me and handling conflict and whether to handle conflict, I'm super passive. And then something I'm mad about, like from last week, I will bring up uh, a week later, but I won't bring it up directly, of course. I'll tell her I'm really upset that the living room is not clean. And then five hours later, I'll have to come back. Actually, it was because last week when you said that thing, you know? And then she's like, oh my goodness. Ah, oh, wow. Now, does this look like the Ephesians 4, speaking the truth in love? Does it look like the be quick to listen, slow to speak, uh, slow to anger kind of James and the way of Jesus type of relating to conflict? No, what it looks like more is like the way that I handled conflict growing up. And do you see the invitation for any of us who claims to follow Jesus is to say, Jesus, take all of me. Fashion it all. Uh, in our Emotionally Healthy Relationships course, we actually teach these skills on how to relate. And one of the skills that we teach is how to, how to make a complaint with a request for change. And it's interesting because people are just like, ah, I'm like, I'm like, I'm educated. I make a lot of money. It's like, well, how, how did your family do complaints growing up? And usually they're complaints with no request for change. So it's just complaining. And then it's like, well, here's, here's how we want to we instruct people on how to make complaints with requests for change. We say, I notice, and then a behavior, and then I prefer, and then a behavior. You know, and then I'll be like, hey, why don't you practice that? And someone will say to their spouse, like, well, I notice you're being a jerk, and I prefer if you weren't a jerk. <laughs> and I say, well, no, 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 being a jerk, that's like, those are like judgmental, harsh words. Can you actually, can you, can you say a behavior that's neutral where we can all agree on what that is? It's like, well, I notice you're being selfish. And I prefer if you weren't so selfish. And it's like, no, 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 you don't understand. That's not, again, that's not a behavior. I mean, isn't it interesting, though, right? Like, we're, we're trying to read, like, this is hard work. This is like some real molding and shaping. This is us being on a new trajectory, of what it means to follow Jesus, of saying, Jesus, I realize like what it's going to take. It's going to take something deep for me to get out of the patterns of the Hyun way and into following the Jesus way. But it's not only conflict. What about sex and conversations around sex? And how many of you, when I, if I were to ask you, like, oh, yeah, your family is of origin. You, taught, they, you guys were taught like a really, really healthy approach to sex and sexuality, and so that when you kind of would grow into your own relationships and marriage, you would have a thriving, fruitful, faithful, life-giving sex life. How many of you guys, like your parents sat you down and discipled you in this way? Yeah, not, not many. And so as a result, when it comes to sex and our approach to sex and what we believe we're entitled to when it comes to sex... All of these things, the ways that we view it, the mentalities, they're more shaped at the end of the day by the families and the cultures that we have grew up in rather than the way of Jesus. And what does it look like for us as a church community now to say, wait, 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 hold on. Like, let's, let's have these frank and open conversations about sex. And what does it look like to have a great sex life as a married couple? And what does it look like for us to move in this area, for singles to wrestle with this and to talk about it in a healthy way? Uh, not only sex but also grief and loss. Some of you are like, how long is this list? Like, we're still at the top here, right? Grief and loss and how we approach grief and loss. 
how many of us, we approach it in a way that's honoring to Jesus as opposed to just ways in which we were taught how to do it. Now, my parents coming from a war-torn generation, like the way that we dealt with grief and loss was we just worked harder. You just work. And so it's not a surprise that a couple years ago when my wife Tina, was, she was whisked away for emergency surgery, uh, for three different emergency surgeries, what did I do? I just worked a lot harder. I worked hard to be a great dad. I worked hard to, to basically try to make sure everything at home was taken care of. And then a couple weeks later, there was some innocuous thing that happened, like, uh, like David didn't want to eat his broccoli or something. And I just got so filled with rage. Uh, and I was like, oh, you, why don't you eat your broccoli? Your mother's in the hospital. You know, like all this stuff. And I just realized, like, there, something erupted within me, all this latent grief and anger and frustration. And here it was someone that I was supposed to love and care for, was, was absorbing the brunt of my own inability to deal with grief and loss. And so I had to go and meet with a trauma therapist just to wrestle through how I handle grief and loss. Now, do you see there's hard work here? <laughs> there's hard work of discipleship, of following Jesus. How many of us, when, when it comes to these topics, we are more shaped by our families of origin rather than the way of Jesus? And so we're not offering these courses just simply to say, like, hey, come, come and take this course and get connected. It's no, come and, come and be reformed, reshaped. Be clay who's willing to now allow God into the deepest recesses of your heart and mind. Not only grief and loss, uh, but expressing anger, which we talked about in a bit. Let's go to the next one. Um, also, families and how we value fam families and what we view uh, how families are supposed to be preeminent in our lives or families are supposed to not be preeminent in our lives. How many of us have, have received and absorbed these messages more from our family than from God? Go to the next slide. Uh, relationships and how we approach our relationships and how we do relationships. Is it more about work or is it more about relationships? And how many of us are more shaped, again, by our families of origin than by the way of Jesus or attitudes toward other cultures? When it comes down to it, you know, and especially today with um, all of the hate and the racist tendencies around us, you know, I'll be honest, growing up as an immigrant in this country, like I, there was, you know, my, my parents would be like, hey, Koreans, for you Koreans really got to stick together. But I'll tell you one race you're not supposed to like. It's the Japanese. And I just remember being like, oh, okay. And my, my parents were just, because of the complicated history, the history of occupation of Japan into Korea. And so as a result, there was just this belief like, hey, just, my parents would explicitly tell me, don't buy any Japanese products. And I remember my brothers and I, we'd be like, what about Nintendo? You know, like, like what? Nintendo's Japanese. What are, what are we going to do? How many of us are more shaped when it comes to our attitudes towards other people or other cultures by our families of origin? Or, or are we shaped by God who invites us to see each person and culture made in the image of God? and invites us to follow him more fully. Not only attitudes toward other cultures, but success. And what is success? 
success is going to the best schools and getting a great education and making a lot of money and then marrying someone else who mirrors that same kind of income bracket and education and living in the suburbs but being close enough to your parents and then giving money to your parents. Like, like there's, there was this whole view of success that was handed down to me. And it's still in me. Uh, I told this story uh, for service. There is, uh, like, at a young age in New York City, kids are invited to go to, like, to take these gifted and talented tests and stuff. And so I remember I was pretty anxious about it because, like, we, we didn't know about it. And then all of a sudden, like, we're cramming with our five, six, five or six-year-old. I forgot how old he was at the time. We're cramming with David, like, hey, do these puzzles, you know? Like, we're just, like, the night before, and we're like, oh, my goodness, where are these materials? And we're just, like, gifted and talented. Like, this is going to shape the trajectory of his life. So we end up, so like, so, like, we're working with him, like, the night before, and then we end up. We end up going to this uh, classroom at this public school, and then like all the parents are there, and I could tell like I'm kind of anxious. There's this anxious tension, and then David ends up going off to to take his test, and then in the midst of it, I was just like, uh, I was I start talking to other parents. I'm like, you know, this is crazy. Why like people make this such a big deal? This is not a big deal. Like we're like like the kids like their futures are going to be predicated upon the success of this test. Like. And then all these parents are like, yeah, you're right, you're right. And I just remember becoming like this evangelist for like, this is not important. Like, what are we doing? Like, educating our kids as if this is so important, right? And so like, here I am talking and like, everyone's like, wow, thank you for sharing. Yes, you're right. This is not that important, right? And then David finishes his test and he ambles back over to kind of where I am. And I'm like, hey, David, okay, well, man, I'm so proud of you. And then he comes, he goes, the first thing he says to me, he's like, he goes, daddy, I got the first problem wrong. You know, and then I was like, uh, listen, I was trying to tell him that it's not that important, but uh, yeah, well, what happened? You know, like, 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 it was just so apparent, right? Like, it's so apparent that, like, I really care about my son's grades and how he does in school and what school he goes to and all this stuff. And I want to ask this question. How much of that is shaped by the way of Jesus versus the way of the Hyun family, you know? Gosh, these tentacles run deep, don't they? That 90% runs deep. You know, and I could sit up here and we as a church can give you platitudes of just do this and just do that, but here's what we want to do. We want to get at the heart, right? We want to get at, want to get at that 90% because that's what Jesus came for. Not only success, but lastly, uh, feelings and emotions. You know, there's a, a phrase that we use in emotionally healthy discipleship, and it's this. Jesus may live in your heart, but Grandpa lives in your bones. And the question is, will you allow Jesus not only into your heart, but into your bones? Will you say, Jesus, make me the kind of husband and wife you want me to be? Not just what I learned growing up in my own family history. Jesus, make me the kind of dad and mom that you want me to be. Not, not, just, not just what I grew up with. Jesus, make me the kind of son or daughter you want me to be. Jesus, 
come and, and, and infiltrate the way I do conflict, my bouts of anger, the ways I treat the opposite gender. Jesus, come into all of that. See, that's the invitation to you and to me in every way. Not, not just simple religious platitudes, but something deeper. That's what we want to invite you to. You know, we talk about this, this metaphor of being clay that's molded and shaped. There's also this other metaphor. It's a beautiful metaphor throughout Scripture, and this metaphor comes to us in the book of Galatians. Check this out. Look what it says. It says, what I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. You see, there's a difference between an heir, a son or a daughter, and a slave. But see, the metaphor goes even deeper, because check out what he says. He says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, that's Jesus, born under the law to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, Daddy. So you are no longer a slave or an orphan, or an illegitimate son or daughter. Instead, you are God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. See, one of the beautiful metaphors of scripture is it's not only that you are clay and he's a potter, it's that so many of us, we live like orphans and slaves. We live in insecurity. We live in fear. We live in anxiety. We live as illegitimate sons and daughters. And so that we, the way that we go about our work, the way that we go and present ourselves to other people, it's with this enormous amount of wanting to prove ourselves or wanting to hide certain parts of who we are. But do you see what God is saying? Is like the, the task of following Jesus is you're welcomed into a new family that you're no longer slaves and orphans, but you're sons and daughters of a good dad. And the invitation for each one of us is to be invited into a new family then, into a new family of Jesus that says, no matter how you've been shaped, I want to mold you and shape you into the masterpiece that I'm creating you into. Question is, would you and me, are we all saying, God, yeah, that's, that's what I want. Mold me and shape me. Do what you wish. Get into the parts of me, the most shameful parts, the most fearful parts, the most anxious parts. Begin to reform me and change me into the areas that only you can access and do the work that you can do. Invite me into this new family, and I want you to be the good dad who changed me.